This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. Most people think about customer lifetime values. How much money have I been able to extract from this customer? But customer lifetime value also means how much have I been able to deliver to the customer? So ultimately, that is the responsibility of the customer success team. That's the voice of Dominique Levin. She's the managing partner at Winning by Design. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. Hey there, I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, today we are delving deep into customer success. What is it? Why does it matter? And who should be using it? If your business or job is dependent on loyal customers and returning customers and repeat customers, then this is an absolute must-listen that is jam-packed with practical tips. And Dominique is the perfect person to be speaking to us about this because she's been heralded as one of the founders of the customer success movement. So we speak to her firstly about what is customer success, how it impacts customer experience and how to practically get started. We started the conversation by asking Dominique the obvious question, what is customer success? Well, customer success as the name implies, is a uh, role that is there to ensure customer success. I guess then you have to ask yourself, what does customer success mean and what does it not mean? In business to business, where the term really originated from, customer success usually means that you have made a measurable impact on your customer's business. And um, most of the time, that means uh, you've either helped your customer to improve their revenue or you've helped your customer to save money. I think always you can sort of bring success back to impact that can be measured in dollars and cents. And customer success is there to ensure that a customer, by hook or by crook, will achieve that success. I just want to ask an interesting follow-on from that, which is, you know, I would assume that all businesses should be aiming to make their customers successful. So why is this discipline, which is relatively new, just coming into uh, popularity now? Yeah, so it really originated in the software industry where uh, there was a significant shift of risk in who's responsible for success. Uh, In the good old days, you would sell a perpetual software license and there was a lot of shelfware. You know, customers would buy that maybe because they played a great round of golf with you and then uh, they would never actually use the product. And you know what? The vendor and the salespeople would be perfectly fine with that because they already got paid. Of course, we went to, uh, you know, the other extreme would be where you pay per use. Maybe if I jump in an Uber or a Lyft or whatever, uh, and somewhere in the middle, it's a subscription model, right, where I can cancel my service. Now, that's in software land. I think that concept, right, of shifting risks basically from the customer who initially took all the risk to the vendor has permeated most of B2B. So in many businesses, there now is a sort of land and expand model where I only buy a small amount first, and then if it works, I will buy more, right? That doesn't have to be a subscription. It can also be another form of land and expand. But those are the expectations of customers today. So guess what? Now, suddenly, I need to make sure uh, that my customer is successful. Otherwise, I won't get paid. Can you take us through what are the sort of core fundamental responsibilities of someone who is in customer success and what sort of makes them good at their job? The primary responsibility for customer success is to make a customer successful. You can measure that in customer lifetime value. And customer lifetime value is actually a two-faced coin, right? Value means we've delivered value to the customer. Value also means we've captured 
value, right? Most people think about customer lifetime value as how much money have I been able to extract from this customer? But customer lifetime value also means how much have I been able to deliver to the customer? So ultimately, that is the responsibility of the customer success team. And what are they typically doing then? So if I start you know, my job tomorrow as a customer success manager, maybe sort of talk us through you know, what does a good customer success manager do in their role day to day? Most customer success managers are first and foremost responsible for a successful implementation. Although when companies grow, sometimes that implementation or onboarding phase becomes a separate team. But a customer success manager will still be the one that oversees and orchestrates what does it take to go from signing a contract to purchasing a solution to achieving the ultimate impact. So day to day, that means that I have a number of regularly scheduled meetings with the client and I will have a number of uh, event-driven meetings. Right? What, what do I mean by that? So the, the key moments in the life of a customer are the onboarding uh, kickoff meeting is where I can orchestrate what is a typical first year in the life of a customer look like. And that's where you can impart tips about what typically goes wrong and three things you need to make sure you do in the next 90 days and that you do in the next year. So there's a piece of education there, but a lot of orchestration as well, right? Making sure you dole out homework to the customer that set them on a path to success. That's interesting. So you're saying in that onboarding kickoff session, you're actually saying, hey, we're so glad to have you on board, ABC company. What we typically find is for you to get the most out of this subscription, be aware of these pitfalls. And you're actually being quite candid because you both want the same thing, right? (laughs) Which is for them to be successful, but actually sort of lay that out in a roadmap from day one. Right. So I I would say it's the, I mean, if there's only one thing to do, it's improve your onboarding experience. Most companies do a great job with what I call technical onboarding. Here's your username, here's your password, here's you use the product. But they do a horrible job at this business orchestration piece. Customers are on an emotional high, right? They just bought a new toy. They're very excited. You (laughs) You know, fast forward three, four, five, six weeks, that might be different because change is hard. And no matter how awesome your product is, Adopting any sort of new product or solution may cause some change management and some pain, but not at that first moment. I mean, the honeymoon phase, right? So this is the perfect time to sort of step back and say, okay, well, what is it that you're ultimately looking to achieve? Let's validate that. This is what I heard from the sales team. But now that we're on the same side of the table, let's get a little bit deeper. And once I really understand what your business goals are, I will guide you. Right. I will tell you, often based on storytelling and experiences with other customers, what I've seen. And a typical customer success manager probably have a hundred times more experience in deploying your solution and achieving results than the customer. For them, it's maybe the first time, at best the second time if they've used it in a previous job. So you have a hundred times more expertise. And I think a lot of CSMs, customer success managers, are forgetting to actually share that knowledge with their customer and, and giving them that roadmap. For success. So the day-to-day of the customer success manager, one is onboarding and we unpacked onboarding. What are some other key elements? The key moments in a customer journey that the customer success manager helps is A, onboarding, B, sort of halfway during uh, the year, you're probably going to do a business review, right? We like to call that an impact review, but you're going to, half of that meeting is looking back. Have we achieved the results we set out to achieve? And if not, what can we do to course correct? But then half of that meeting is looking forward. We talked about the customer success manager as being responsible for customer lifetime value. It means that I'm responsible ultimately also for expansion. Even if I don't carry the direct quota, and we can talk about that, I'm constantly planting seeds. Even in that kickoff, I might say 12 months from now, 
uh, typical customer will find that they may need to you know, roll the solution out globally. They find that maybe they need to add this other module, you know, whatever the case is, right? So, and then towards the end of the year, I might be involved as a customer success manager in a, in a renewal or upsell conversation. And then all along the way, I'm listening, right? I think customers don't necessarily want more meetings. I hate it when customer managers do like these weekly check-ins. I mean, I was a chief marketing officer. If all of my vendors had done a weekly check-in, I had like 60 of them, I would have done nothing but customer check-ins. So no customer check-ins. Key moments, and in between I have alerts, right? Alerts that will tell me something is afoot, either good or bad. Again, most customer success teams are great at setting alerts for churn or health indicators and are horrible at setting alerts for opportunities to sell more or opportunities to help my customer, right, solve more problems. That's a great summary. So we've got our three key moments. There's the onboarding at the start, there's your business review or your impact review, and then you've got more of like an annual conversation, which is like a renewal or an upsell opportunity. I want to delve into onboarding to start with. Could you give us an example of what a really brilliant customer onboarding looks like? Who does this well and what does it actually look like? Yeah, let me give you an example. So a good onboarding experience gives a customer a pretty good sense of the first year in their life with you, right? And lays out a roadmap, all the things that they should do to achieve success and avoid pitfalls. So an example is I was working with an educational uh, technology company. So they have a solution that teachers use to start using more technology in the classroom, be it iPads or be it uh, these days even VR goggles. So in their onboarding, they would really give schools a good roadmap of how it is that they could ensure teacher adoption. It's a huge change. Not all teachers are going to be equally comfortable with technology. But along the way, they found sometimes little things that really helped with adoption. So they found that if during the kickoff call, they immediately choose already what is the first course that we're going to teach using these VR goggles or these iPads, right, that would help and speed things along. If they school would assign a lead teacher to be available for other teachers to ask questions, that would help. If that lead teacher organized lunch and learns on a regular basis to answer questions of other teachers, that improved success. And then if the company actually shipped some giveaways for the lead teacher to give away during those lunch and learns, that would create more excitement. Now she could give away t-shirts or water bottles or whatever the case may be, right? So you can get a Some of this might be very tactical, but the customer success manager of this company would really orchestrate. It's not about serving the customer, but it's about leading the customer to success. They would really lead these schools and said, you must pick a topic today that's going to be your first, you know, you must tell me who your lead teacher is. Not because it's going to help us, but it's going to help you. If you want to be successful in your stated goal, to have all teachers or at least 80% of teachers use this technology in the classroom by the end of the year, these are the things you need to do. And so there's two elements there. Be very clear about setting what the end goal is, right? Start there. Don't take it for granted that you just pick up from where sales left off. Verify with the customer what they're looking to achieve. And once you understand that, again, craft the path, lead them, and even give them homework in terms of what it is they need to do to get there. Yeah, I like that. And you said that you're not just leading on from where sales left things. And I think it's important to kind of just recognize that when somebody's in a purchase cycle, that they've bought this new product, subscribed to your service, they've had a, some sort of a discussion or a number of discussions with somebody in a sales team or, you know, a business development manager. 
and they've made certain promises and sold a certain dream. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they've sold a dream, right, about what the about what the product can do. And so it's the job of the customer success team to bring that dream to life and really help. And I, I think that really comes alive in the onboarding process. Yeah, so the, the meeting, the onboarding meeting really should start again by verifying what it is you've heard from sales. We actually recommend you use a framework for that that's called SPICED. S stands for situation, P stands for pain, I is impact, CE is critical event, and D is decision criteria. It's actually something that we teach sales teams, right? So ideally, you have a common language across your organization. Sales teams can use these same uh, questions to try and uncover and diagnose, right, a customer and see what solution would fit and how to sell them. So hopefully they've documented these things in your CRM system. And you could start an onboarding call by saying something like, I see here that you have bought 200 licenses for us. Uh, Your school actually has 400 students in them. You have a problem. Students aren't really engaged. And a lot of them are failing their history class. And so what you would like to do is introduce some technology to bring history to life. And your goal is that by the end of the school year, you know, you have fewer than 10% of your students of those first 200 students fail the class. And you chose our solution because we are the leader in VR. The situation is the number of students. Pain is I have failing students. The impact is I want to have measurable improvement for those students critical event is by the end of the school year and I chose you, did I get that right? Right? And I can very quickly run through this literally minute one of an onboarding call. Like, did I get that right? Hopefully they say yes. Um, (laughs) But maybe something has changed. Maybe not. But then don't stop there. Then go deeper. For example, I just told you that they bought 200 licenses and they have 400 students. What about these other 200 students? So now I'm starting to plant seeds for my upsell right in the kickoff. Like, may I ask, what about these other 200 students? Is your plan to, is this a test? And if things go well by the end of the year, is it your intent to roll this out to the entire school next year? Yes or no, but it would be good to know, right? So I'm starting to orchestrate not just short-term success and immediate success, but it's a completely legitimate question, right? We're, we're being a partner together now to ask where they want to take this long-term. And in the process, I'm starting to determine some success criteria and some planting some seeds for potential future expansion as well. And what you are describing in many ways is this roadmap that's very clear to the customer to this term called time to value effectively. When is it that they really get the value? If you have the onboarding call and then maybe you're not going to have another conversation with them until six months in, how do you measure and what's a good way of running metrics around customer success to get to things like time to value and also to give you the alerts of maybe when things are going wrong? Your most important goal is initially to get customers to first value, right? In the example we've been using, let's say it is the first teacher teaching the first class using VR headsets. Let's say that that is first value. You know, I know I said there's only three meetings, but don't be too purist about it, right? So especially in those first like 30 days, whatever, 90 days, however long you need to get to first value, you're likely going to have multiple meetings. But by the way, that is not necessarily with your business stakeholder, right? Maybe I should clarify that. That first or those three points are really where the whole group on your customer side is together. And I'm talking to the decision maker. Uh, there might be people underneath that are operationally involved with actually rolling out a solution. There's obviously going to be uh, project meetings, you know, especially as we're working through implementation all the way up to first value. 
But yeah, after that, it's right, so important upfront to establish the, the goal. You know, if the goal is that all teachers should be using this by end of year, right, then you would start monitoring teacher adoption. And if you see that it's falling behind, pick up the phone and try and inquire what might be going wrong. As a customer success manager, what should be my dashboard other than some maybe, you know, customized product engagement metrics? What's the right thing to be looking at? And then how do we measure if a customer success manager is doing a great job? So the uh, adoption metrics tend to be pretty customer specific, but most of that is meant to try and identify customers going off track, right? Customers falling behind. So I call those like negative alerts. So most companies do a pretty good job with those. What most companies forget completely is to set up the triggers that have more to do with the customer business. Again, not just the triggers that would signify risk. I know a lot of people have, if my champion leaves, I should call them and get to know the new champion. Yeah, great. All of that is churn prevention. I hate that. Like customer success managers are not in the business of churn prevention. They are in the business of customer success. So growing the customer's business. So if there's opportunities to help a customer because they've just launched a new product, they have just opened a new office, they have just done an acquisition, they've just hired 200 new people. Maybe they've just laid off 200 people and there is some way in which I can make that less painful for them, right? I need to be in tune with what is actually going on with my customer's business. And so setting up those alerts, right, could be as simple as news alerts, LinkedIn alerts, things like that are super important. It's a completely different lens, right? Like how can I help them grow, not how can I prevent them from churning? So Dominique, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is our lightning segment where we ask you quickfire questions. Are you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready. (laughs) All right, I'll start off with the first question, which is, what brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? You know, I think that the, the best customer experience in B2B are companies that really teach. So uh, an early company that comes to mind to me is Marketo, which really uh, helped define a category and teach people um, how to do uh, marketing automation. What uh, job did you learn the most in? My first job was uh, working for a uh, for the telco in Japan. Oh, wow. Uh, quite, quite a transformative <laughs> experience. I was the only non-Japanese female on half a million Japanese. Um, it was a very interesting time. And what was it that you learned there that stood out? I think I learned to create my, uh, my own job and break all the rules. Dominique, what skill are you terrible at? I talk too much, usually. Uh, which is horrible, especially my profession of sales, where you need to listen and not uh, talk. But I talk too much and too fast. What's the best advice you've ever received? You know, actually, um, something that's super applicable, I think, to your audiences uh, in business is that there's only two jobs in a uh, B2B company. That is, you're either a building product or you're selling product. What non-work-related things are you into right now? Uh, I play ice hockey um, to blow off steam and uh, my passion in life is uh, I uh, take sabbaticals every seven years I uh, completely disappear and the best experience of my life was taking my family around the world for a year as part of one of those that's fantastic where do you go to upskill is it you know books YouTube podcasts or maybe speaking to other people you know what, what channels do you use uh, yeah, I think it's mostly, well, you, there's actually science behind this. Um, 
70% of learning is by doing. Uh, so just trying new things and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. Uh, but I learned a ton from, uh, yeah, from my peers, both inside Winning by Design and then the customers I work with, which is 20% of learning. And then only 10% of learning comes from classroom or books. That's what science says, but uh, I do apply that in my own life as well. We've kind of covered one of the, the three key moments in customer success. I want to talk about the second one, which was the business review or the impact review. Can you talk through what that involves, Dominique? Yeah, so the impact review starts exactly like the kickoff. It starts with spiced. It starts with verifying what is your situation, what is your pain, what is the impact you're looking to achieve, what is a critical event or deadline by which you would like this done, and what are your decision criteria. Again, just to verify, when we spoke six months ago, you wanted to have this sales enablement software because you're hiring a lot of new people and you needed them to be ramped up as quickly as possible, preferably before the sales kickoff meeting that you're organizing in August. And you really like our solution because we have mobile. Is that still the case? Well, you know, Dominique, actually, we haven't announced this yet, but we're going to lay off a bunch of salespeople. And so we're not so worried about getting new people up to speed. We're now more worried about using your software to try and motivate and retain the people that are going to be left after this layoff. Like, oh, my God. Like, this is a completely different conversation, right? If I had just jumped into an impact review, which too many people do, and started saying, hey, we've done a great job. We've onboarded all these people that we're going to lay off tomorrow, right? So it's super important that you start with verifying always, like, what are we looking to achieve? Okay, given that, in that context, great, nothing has changed, then let's evaluate where we are. So then the first half of this impact review is going to be looking backwards. It's going to be about results. Did we achieve the results we agreed upon, uh, we set out to achieve? And if not, how can we troubleshoot that? Then the second half is looking forward. Now, it depends. If I'm on track to achieve my goals, that means that in the second half, I can start diagnosing and figuring out, is there other things I can help you with? Too many people miss that opportunity to truly partner with your customer and see if there's other things right, that you could do to help them. Maybe make your buyer a champion and take the solution global to all the other offices. Maybe you can get some referrals from their friends and other companies that would benefit from the solution. Maybe you have another product that could solve another pain for the same person, right? So that's looking forward. Now, if you are not on track to achieve your goals, that impact review, the second half is still going to be looking forward, but now it's going to be focused on remediation, right? So, okay, great. Understand where we are. Sorry to hear that we you know, are not exactly where we'd hoped to be, but fortunately, we still have half an hour left. Let's use that to come up with a plan to get back on track. So in a way, it's kind of like a second onboarding. You're, you're just kind of like reviewing again what, what the goals were and then setting new goals for the next coming six months. Uh, yeah, but the difference is that in between, you actually review results. You actually review where it is that we're at. And then all along, I'm probably going to use a lot of customer stories to do this, right? This is true for the onboarding calls, true for the impact review. I'm not just going to pitch, hey, what about this other product? I'm always going to go back to my experience as a customer success manager. Hey, that other customer, you know, Jackie over at XYZ Corporation, she ran into the same problem with adoption. And what she did at that point is 
she escalated it to her boss and whatever it is, right? So you're always telling stories about how other companies have solved that problem, overcome that hurdle, or how other companies were able to take initial success and build on that and grow even more. So the whole storytelling aspect is huge for all of sales, frankly, but especially for customer success as well. I think it's something that a lot of people underestimate how much ammunition they have and how much power they have with all that experience and all those stories because that customer that you're engaging with, they're often having that problem for the first time or they're certainly not the expert with this. And you've seen this uh, happen 78 times before. And so mentioning just even just having that that empathy and saying, oh, do you know what? We saw this the other day at ABC Company and totally feel you like they had the same thing. Look, what we worked on was this and this. There's just so much value in that beyond just kind of going, oh, you've got that problem. What, well, what you need to do is we now need to do a training program and you need to use this feature this way, what have you, and just jumping straight into the solution, sort of weaving those stories and become really important. There's actually another psychological impact of that. If Let's say a customer has a problem. And now I say, you know what? I work with another customer. They had that same problem. And this is how they solved it, right? The customer might go, you know what? I don't agree with that. I don't like that idea at all. It's not going to work for us. Okay. If you had pitched it straight up, if you said, what I want you to do is X, Y, and Z, and they said, you know what? It's not going to work for us. Well, now what? Right? If I tell a story, then, okay, great. This story doesn't work. Let me look around. Oh, another story out of my head. Right? So they're not actually rejecting you. I guess a little psychological, but they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting that story. Much easier to then say, okay, let's look at another story. You avoid the confrontation. Yeah, it's good. Great. So should we maybe finish on that third big milestone, which is the renewal where you're looking back over the year and what's a great way to run those sessions? So the renewal is completely different. If you have done your job well on orchestrating success impact and orchestrating even the upsell, right? Planted the seeds for how else you could help them. uh, Then the renewal actually should be a non-event. So think about it. We said that we were going to do a 12-month plan at the kickoff, right? Then we're going to do another 12-month plan, right, at the six-month mark. Now, when does the renewal happen? 12 months. Okay, but wait a minute. This is where I really need my whiteboard, so I need the listeners to visualize <laughs> this, right? So we have a line going 12 months out. Now, I have a dot in the middle of that line. I'm going to draw another colored line 12 months out. But that 12-month point, the original renewal date, now is in the middle of my 12-month plan with you. Wait a minute, hold on. So you're telling me the renewal date now is sort of in the middle of this really exciting plan that we have together to have a whole bunch of impact, right? So we're calling this swinging through the renewal date. And the renewal becomes basically a non-event, right? It should be a non-event. The renewal call is not a moment to bring up new ideas, to you know have any surprises about where the company stands, right? That is a harvest time. Right, You're not going to pick all those fruits of all those seeds you planted if all goes well. Can I just ask then, so this is actually a point that we shouldn't gloss over. You said something, if you've done your job well throughout the year, then this should be an easy meeting, which begs the question, what should you be doing throughout the year to plant all of those seeds? You should uh, make your customer successful. (laughs) Uh, You should force your customer to be successful by giving them a roadmap of how they can be successful at regular intervals, which are typically, and we're now generalizing, right? We're saying maybe it's only once a year that I do a review for larger accounts. It can be more. You might have self-service accounts where this is automated, like we said earlier. But ultimately, if you have achieved results and you've impacted your customer business, the renewal should be a non-event. Now, sometimes a little negotiation still happens there. 
So there might be a little trading uh, going on, right? Where someone says, yeah, we're on track now, but you know, all those bugs we had in the beginning of the year, I want to get a discount. Then I might say, well, we don't do discounts, but we uh, we can trade. You know, if you're willing to sign a two-year contract, then we can adjust the pricing on that deal. That is sort of rule one of negotiation is there's no negotiation, there's only trading. So Dominic, I want to ask you an important question around for customer success to be successful internally, they're going to need to orchestrate a lot of things with support, with product teams, with other sales teams. In your view, what's some great principles for success for a CS team and a CSM, a customer success manager, for orchestrating all those different internal business elements? A customer success team should not shy away from taking responsibility and accountability for customer revenues, right? I think too many customer success teams are just reluctant to carry a quota, carry a number, be it, again, a retention dollar number, an expansion number. But there's two jobs in a company. Either you build product or you sell product. So in customer success, the end of the day, you have a responsibility to generate revenue. And the more you know how much revenue you're bringing in. By the way, for many modern companies, that could be 70%, right? I don't think that most companies are investing enough in customer success. But if I'm a customer success manager, I would go like, guys and gals, 70% of our revenue is coming from the existing customers that we're managing, right? We better put some dollars behind that and some serious you know, intent behind that. So I think that's one. I think too, most customer success teams are too protective of their customers, right? They're sort of like... Yeah, they're babies. <laughs> so they don't want sales to talk to them, for example. But wait a minute. Modern sales is also about helping customers. It might actually be in the customer's interest to learn about that new product and to have that conversation about how to bring this to the other three departments. It may actually be in the customer's interest to be introduced to marketing. You know what? The customer may love to speak at the trade show and and build their personal brand. The customer may love to do a press release with you because it shows how they're innovating and investing in their, whatever the case may be, right? Customers are ultimately the lifeblood of any business. And so access to customers can help marketing, access to customers can help sales, access to customers can help engineering build better products. And often that's a win-win. And I think not all customer success teams realize the win-win, but and leveraging that customer asset that you have throughout the company will obviously increase the stature of the customer success organization, will increase the success of the overall company, but will also make it easier to partner with these other departments if and when you need things done for your customers as well. Dominic, you've done such a great job of convincing, um, I think, everybody why a customer success-based organization is really wonderful and delivers great results. So, to finish up, I just wanted to ask, could you give some recommendations for those who are listening on how they can get started in that transformation process to move more towards this customer success approach? So, my recommendation if you're starting with customer success is not necessarily to hire a whole bunch of people and let them figure it out. Just define what is your customer success playbook, essentially. And a customer success playbook really has two elements, right? It will define what are the regular scheduled meetings or touch points that as an organization we are going to have with our customers. And again, it could be different for different groups of customers, right? The top 100 accounts might be every month. The rest of the accounts might be twice a year. So create a customer cadence, which has the scheduled meetings and any sort of alerts. 
and then define what we call blueprint, but it's really a framework, right, for each of these meetings or a cheat sheet or an agenda, whatever you want to call it, but have a formalized sort of written down view of what does a good customer kickoff look like? What does a good impact review look like? What does a good renewal call look like? So that you have a basis to work for. And by the way, it's a living, breathing thing, right? Eventually, you're going to learn things, you're going to add things, but that's really a place to start, you know, define your process, define your playbook, and then hire a great team that will help you constantly iterate on that playbook and make it better until you achieve desired results. Dominic, thank you so much for coming on Customer Experience Leaders. We had a, a real blast. Thanks very much. Thank you, guys. Good luck. Well, 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 Adam, an incredible episode. You are now an expert in customer success. <laughs> I know. I've been hearing you talk about it for years on end uh, and never quite understood it until, you know, we did this one call with Dominic and I'm very clear on what it is and the incredible value that it generates within a business. That's great. Well, actually, maybe we can use that to kick off our debrief section. So, this is where we go through the episode and where we tease out the practical takeaways that really stood out to us. So, the first one for me is that customer success actually really is about taking responsibility for the customer getting business impact from your product, your solution, your service. So, it is not about just onboarding them and training them and making sure that they're happy and that they're clear, you know, how to use your tool, your widget or what your service does. It is about taking responsibility from beginning throughout the journey to ensure that they are truly getting the impact for the problem that they're trying to solve. So, what I really loved was that typically customer success has been a term used by SaaS companies, you know, software as a service, the tech industry where you pay subscription fee and, um, you know, you get access to some sort of web platform. But after speaking to Dominique about this, it became really clear that this methodology shouldn't just be considered by those types of businesses. In fact, Mm. anyone who's in B2B or perhaps even B2C companies should be thinking about how to help their customers be successful, how to help their customers generate business impact. Yeah, totally. Particularly in a world today where we have endless options and endless competition for the dollar, if you're not making an impact and helping your customers make an impact, then you're not really probably doing enough. And so, at a practical level, and maybe a good way to get started with this is just this idea of doing regular check-ins with your customers and, you know, once a quarter or once every six months, just kind of going, all right, well, like you hired us to do X. Is that still the goal? Great. Are we doing X? And what is your goal for the next six to 12 months? It's super simple. You can think of even like accounting firms or businesses like the one that I run, a podcast agency doing a similar thing. When's my business review going to be, Adam? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, let's think outside the box a little bit and not just pigeonhole customer success to tech companies. The third one was a little nuanced because I think we take it for granted in tech world that we just set up these things. But I think it's it's an important point, which is it's really worth investing in the tech to get a view of the metrics and the triggers and having an automated sense of what your customers are doing. And I think that one of the takeaways for me was that we often set up these triggers for the negatives, right? So this customer hasn't logged in for X amount of days. Let's check in with them, make sure that they need some support, but actually also having the reverse. So <laughs> having actually the triggers for the positives to you know be able to take action from there. And effectively what you're wanting to do is set 
the foundations of being able to find when is this customer getting to value and how do we know whether they've gotten to value and how do we support them for that business impact. So it's absolutely worth investing in the tech to be able to do these triggers and automation because otherwise you're going to be drowning in lots of manual phone calls. And then the final takeaway was the framework that Dominique talked us through, the SPICED methodology. So just to quickly recap that, it's situation, pain, impact, critical event and decision criteria. And so the takeaway here is use this methodology. It's <laughs> yeah. it's great. It's it's just a really nice framework for understanding what it is you're really in business to do and what it is the goal or objective that your customer has of solving. All right, so let's sum up the key takeaways. The first one was customer success really is around taking responsibility for business impact. The second was that customer success is not just for tech companies, it is for everyone. And number three, having said that, is invest in the tech to get the triggers of when things are going well and not so well. And then takeaway four is... Spice up your life. (laughs) Use the spiced methodology for getting great impact. Fantastic. If you loved this episode as much as I did, we would love to hear from you. Simply add me on LinkedIn. You can follow what we're up to. And importantly, it's an easy way for you to just drop a note to us to say which episodes you liked or any advice or tips or thoughts you have on future episodes. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am Michael Momsen, M-O-M-S-E-N. And I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thanks so much for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rated. Rated is focused on measuring customer feedback, empowering staff, and helping you to deliver an awesome customer experience every single time. So to find out more about how Rated can help you succeed in delivering amazing experiences, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. This podcast is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. This episode was produced by yours truly and Christopher Lawson, who also edited and mixed the show. Our theme music is by Icolix, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. Michael and I love to hear from all of the Customer Experience Leaders fans, so I would love for you to add Michael and myself on LinkedIn and send us a note telling us why you love the show. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you in two weeks. Oh,